Hello and welcome to the Side Hustle Success Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Horns, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Taylor. This is a show for anyone who has a product or business idea and wants to go full-time on it eventually, or maybe you already have. This is a show about product design, entrepreneurs, freelancers, contractors, free agents, digital nomads, and literally anything in between. In this episode, we're going to be talking about developing ideas and how to turn them into products. Okay, yeah. So, uh, how's things been going with you, Kevin? Yeah, really good, thanks. Yeah, I mean, um, last Thursday, I um, got the opportunity to meet one of my heroes. It's a guy called Rob Walling. He does a, a podcast called Startups for the Rest of Us. Yeah, you mentioned him a few times on the yeah, show. Yeah, and he's, he also wrote a book as well, uh, Start Small, Stay Small, which was sort of a book that sort of really influenced um, a lot of my thinking in terms of how I grew my businesses, and also the podcast that he did. Um, like, for example, one of the episodes that he talked about was mastermind groups, and we formed a mastermind group sort of based upon his kind of teachings, really, you know. And okay. so it was, it was quite interesting. So I think Rob mentioned on his on his podcast that he was going to London, and if anybody wanted to meet him, just just drop him an email. So we kind of dropped him an email, and then I think like forty odd people wanted to meet up. So because so many people wanted to meet up, we yeah. he hired a room, and we went down on Thursday afternoon, had a had a chat with him. It wasn't anything formal. It wasn't like a a conference or anything like that as such it was just have a have an informal chat with the other sort of bootstrappers they attended and also rob and um, it, was, it was really good actually it was good to meet rob he's quite an introverted guy so he's kind of shy but it was it was great to talk to him and say you know the influence they'd had on my career and and, and such like it was it was really cool um and also it's quite a small world isn't it because a lot of the people that were at this event were sort of people that i knew already but didn't know we were going there oh right, okay so people um, from from our area where we live. Yeah, yeah, rather bizarrely. Yeah, obviously I went with Dan and Marvin, who are my mastermind group. Um, my business partner, Nick, he decided to tag along at the last minute as well. Um, there's a guy called Paul who'd met at an event at Nottingham. I didn't know who was going. Um, he does a thing called Membermeister, which is like a sort of club management software um, for like okay. dance, dance schools, um, right. which is quite interesting. He does that full time. I met him before at events, but I didn't know he was going there. So I also met a guy called Martin who I'd met before as well. He does, um, he's now gone full time on his project, which is, is called Kids Club HQ, which is similar to, to Paul's business, like doing um, sort of management of after school clubs. Um, so okay. that, that was really, they, they, were, they were sort of talking about sort of tactics and stuff. It was quite cool actually to, to meet all these people, you know. And there's actually another guy. S- sounds, like, sounds like a potential merger in the future. Yeah, I was thinking that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think well, it was good to talk tactics because I don't think they were directly competing, but they kind of do similar sort of businesses. So it's yeah. good to talk tactics, isn't it, with somebody who does something similar to what you do. So it was really cool actually. I, I really enjoyed it. It was, just, it was good to talk to Rob, but it was also good. We went to the pub afterwards and we had a chat with the other the other guys that were there as well. So it was, it was really good actually. So I, I know it's, uh, I know Rob's quite a, well Rob Walling's quite a, you know, you're quite a big fan of his. So yeah, yeah. What, what's, what's it like to meet your hero? I know, it's kind of a bit strange actually. It was kind of, I said to him, it's, it's a bit strange because I kind of felt like, not that I know him, but you know, because you've heard somebody talk so much on podcasts, you kind of have an idea of how they're going to be. And it was kind of like, but obviously, he doesn't know who I am, so I feel like he knew. You know, I know who he is, but he doesn't know. It's kind of a bit strange. Are you like that? You've ever met people that you've heard on podcasts, and then you've actually met them in person? So this is yeah, I have actually. So there's a in in sort of the Microsoft technology space. There's a podcast called .NET Rocks, um, yeah. and I've been, I've been on the show twice, which is cool. But I mean, but before that, you know, I've been listening to them for years, and then I met them at a conference once, and we was all kind of sitting in the bar, and I'm sitting there thinking, this is weird. <laughs> Meeting people, yeah. But it's exactly the same thing. So I know a lot about them, because they talk a lot about their lives as well. It's a very sort of personal podcast as well as, yeah. a, as, a, as a techie podcast. So I know all these things about these two guys. Yeah, you know, 
uh, they've never met me before. Yeah, I know. It, it feels a bit one-sided, doesn't it? Um, but no, it was really good, actually. It was good It was good to meet Rob and have a quick chat with him. I mean, obviously, it's not like I can get some amazing amount of wisdom. It was, you know, it was more like, you know, we just had a quick chat, you know, like an informal chat. It wasn't, I didn't go there with pre-prepared questions. I'm going to ask Rob and he's going to solve my life or anything like that, you know. <laughs> it wasn't like, but it, it was really good to have a chat with Rob. It was good to meet all the other people. I made a few contacts with people as well. They were doing similar sort of things. We had a chat about tactics and things like that. You know, and it's good. It's good. I'm going to try and keep in touch with Martin as well. He does a podcast called Brit Strap, so perhaps we could do it. I did mention I did okay. a tie-in with those guys, and we okay. could sort of like perhaps do a joint podcast or something like that. Would be quite cool at some point. Um, also, I think at some point I might contact Rob about doing if he could be a guest on our podcast. That would be oh, awesome. Cool. Yeah, yeah. that would be awesome if we could get him. I don't know what he's obviously probably really busy with his stuff, but if at some point we could get him, that'd be really cool. We can give him lots of exposure. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I think we'll around, but yeah, that would be quite cool, actually. Yeah. Uh, so, what have you been up to, then, Steve? Um, quite a lot of things. So, I'll finish off my innovation course for Pro Sites. That's all. It's not quite signed off yet, but it's going through all the final review processes. So, I'm expecting that to be out soon. Yeah, cool. Um, started having a little play around with a website called Skillshare, which is another training website. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I've just released a little short course. Um, called preparing for job interviews or job interview preparation tips. Oh wow, it's going to be a course, is it? That you're going to have on on Skillshare, is it then? Or yeah, so like whereas with Pluralsight, the courses are you know quite large and they they tackle like a big subject and you you know you go from start, middle, and end on the okay. subject. Skillshare is a lot different. So you might have a course that's kind of twenty thirty minutes long, which focuses on just one skill. Okay, yeah, yeah. As, as opposed more to being more narrow, more you think, than a more narrow focus. Than, yeah, than your Pluralsight stuff. So I'm just experimenting with their platform really. Just, okay. just giving it a try, seeing seeing what sticks, what works, what doesn't work. Yeah, it's just another 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 thing that you can try. Then is it? Yeah, and I've been sort of playing around with YouTube a bit more as well because I started. I've got a YouTube channel. Okay, yeah. And I started doing some kind of advice and tips videos on it, but the problem I found with that was it was quite time consuming because you know the YouTube channel doesn't make any money, so I'm putting stuff up there because I want to in the oh, hope okay. in the hope in the hope that you get like more revenue or anything like that. Not at the moment, no. <laughs> no. Um, so. Producing the videos for that was quite time-consuming because you have to set the cameras up, then copy the files, and then do noise reduction, bring them into the editor. Ah, okay, yeah. It takes a while, so I was thinking there's got to be a better process that I can do to help me do this um, more efficiently. Yeah. So I've kind of found that, and it's going to link into my recommendation later, so I don't want to spoil the punchline, but okay. <laughs> I've sort of got a new camera which sits on top of the computer, which will record directly onto the computer into the editing software Okay, yeah. that I use, and I can... Record a video, turn it around, edit it, and upload it quite quickly, like within half an hour. Mm. Yeah, which, which improves the process. I want to put some more sort of short form content up on YouTube. Is that just to obviously advertise the other things that you do then, or, or to sort of yeah, it's, it's channel and audience building. So if you can build up an audience, a you can you know talk about you know the other courses and books that I do. Similar yeah. similar with podcasts. You, know, you build up an audience, and then yeah, you, know, you get a following through that. I'm just trying it through the YouTube okay yeah. uh, channel. I have no idea if it's going to work or not. But. <laughs> you have to try these things. You have to try different different routes, don't you? Yeah, well, you don't know unless you try. Mm. Okay, so on to the questions. This one, the first one's from a guy called Ted. And this one's aimed directly at you, Kevin. Okay, yeah. So, Kevin, did your initial idea for steel and uh, timber beam calculator turn out as you originally thought, or did the idea morph over time? Um, yeah, to be fair, it's kind of we've kept not miles away from what the original concept was. And the way I the way I envisioned it was initially just to build a product that would replace my day job. So it wasn't a, a grand project. It was just doing something simple and doing it well. And that's kind of what we've, we've kind of stuck to is doing 
um, not overly complicated uh, sort of products, but just you know uh, straightforward project uh, products that get the job done in the quickest possible time. So it's it's more like a productivity tool. And mm. yeah, to be fair, I mean, obviously there's things that happen, for example, like customers will request features and things that you perhaps wouldn't have been able to predict at the start. So you, you are kind of, you, you, your product does more based upon sort of customer feedback. Um, but only marginally, I think we've roughly, we've kept kind of true to the spirit of where we want to be. It's just kind of, the way I envisage it is, is I think at the start, I, mean, I had another business partner originally and, and things, he kind of had other interests, had family and, and etc. So it was kind of hard um, to sort of go where, where the product, you know, where I wanted it to go initially. Um, it was kind of slow, slow progress. Yeah. And it, it, it was, it was, but now I've got a new business partner. I think things are going kind of the speed I want things to go at, you know, and the, pro, the product is growing. I think it's kind of growing out from where it started. So you mean your new partner's more invested in the idea of Yeah, I think yeah. it's where well, he's got more time to devote to the project as well and he's more, more inclined. Um, he's just got the necessary, you know, he's got the time to devote to the project up front without, you know, it obviously hasn't got like big family commitments um, as much as my previous. A business yeah. partner did so he's got the time now to sort of put into the project you know up front without getting paid you know so we're putting a lot more effort into the product than what we were originally um, but I, th- I think to be fair I think it has it has pretty much kept to the original concept okay. uh, I don't know what you, is your sort of stuff that you've done Steve is that kept to how you yeah I mean my, my, my stuff's not a, a product in the same sense that yours is so my, my product is content so when we when we do a course approval site, you know, we have to go through a pitching process. So we, you know, we'll give them like a paragraph description of what the course is going to be, and they say whether they're interested or not. Then there's a formal process you have to go through where you do a lot of your upfront research and you say what's going to be in each module and what you're going to cover. Yeah. And by the point that's signed off, you pretty much know exactly what's going to be in the course, and you can't really deviate too much from it. Yeah, so it is. It so is so it with is. what I do. You know, they, plus my products are done over a much smaller space of time, and then once it's done, it's done. Yeah, there was so it's, like, it's a bit different. I mean, I, my idea is pretty much as it was. I don't think it's like some some people they start from an idea and then they pivot to something completely different based upon obviously customer feedback or whatever. Mine has kept true to what it what it was originally. You know, obviously it's more it's more advanced than what it was compared to and of the, the design so much better, the UI is so much better, the actual products better. You know, had the way it works and and etc. And um, it's so much better than it was when it originally started. But it is pretty much the same. It's doing the same sort of job, you know, yeah. it does the same thing, you know, just we just do it better now and we do more different things, you know, but it's pretty much the original idea. Cool. hasn't really morphed. Oh, I'd love to say, oh, yeah, it's, we've pivoted from this idea to something completely different, but we haven't. It has kept to, you know, how I thought it was going to be. Yeah, we, we started off as a company selling paper clips over the internet <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and now we, now we calculate still yeah. beams. I know a lot of these starters, isn't they, where they, where they call it a pivot and I think, no, you just messed up. <laughs> just that's the matter. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of that term. Yeah, no, I'm not, no. Okay, the second question. Uh, person wanted to remain anonymous, so I shall okay. call them Anon. Anon, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, the question is, if you're working by yourself, can it be possible that you cling on to ideas that are no good, but you can't see clearly because you're so invested in that idea? Yeah, I think obviously we'll go into this a bit later about the sunk fallacy, you know, um, where you you know you invest so much time. So sometimes you can become in love with an idea, can't you? Um, and then you get people they'll just work in complete isolation and build some, like a product out based upon an idea that they love. Yeah. But they haven't had any feedback from any customers. There's no. It's just there's no context. They don't know the audience. They don't have any 
contacts in that area or know anybody that's involved with that kind of work, you know. And sometimes you can get in love with an idea, can't you? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I guess, you know, if, if we take your business as an example, I mean, you've got a business partner, so you've got kind of two people validating ideas. I guess if you've got two or more people involved in an idea and you can kind of self-regulate the yeah, ideas to a certain extent, yeah I think to be honest my my kind of products come from the consultancy work that I was doing so it kind of like it was to I could see there was a demand for my product based upon the kind of consultancy work because I could see there was a demand for my consultancy work so I could say oh there must be a demand for a product like this hmm. and, and I always thought if nobody else uses this product I can use it for my own consultancy work so it's kind of the idea didn't come from me it came from the work that I was doing whereas if I just come up with an idea and then just spent years building it I think that's different isn't it I think, yeah. I think it's got a I think if you know lots of people in that industry and you know you've got lots of contacts there's people that you can reach out to and say is this a good idea you know but if you just work in complete isolation you don't talk to anybody I think that's where you can get in trouble isn't it if you don't have any feedback from anybody you know and you get in love with this idea you launch it to the world and nobody's interested because yeah. you haven't spoken to anybody asked if they'd actually pay for it or whether they actually want to. This is where the whole concept of the minimum viable product comes yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think you'd yeah. have to be, you'd have to go out. Uh, there are certain things that I've worked on and, for example, I did a marketplace for structural engineers and I didn't really, I just thought, oh, there would be a demand for this, but I didn't really talk to structural engineers and see if it's something that they'd be prepared to pay for. Um, kind of like a social network for a very specific yeah yeah it was kind niche. of going to be like kind of like a, a marketplace like an online marketplace so people could post on there that they, they needed a structural engineer and then structural engineers could bid for those projects and then my idea was that structural engineers would pay to be on this website but when I actually reached out to all the structural engineers they were like oh no we've got loads of work on we don't need to go and bid pay to be on a site to bid for work right. you know it wasn't there was no they were getting demand. work through other channels. Yeah, they got yeah. so much work from other channels. They were all kind of, all the good engineers were really busy with work. They didn't need to buy in work, if you know what I mean. So it's kind of, I didn't understand. If I'd spoke to people earlier and not worked in isolation, I probably could have saved myself a lot of time and money. Just spent absolutely fortune on this on this idea. I, mean, but I think it's kind of, I was in love with the idea because I'd seen like, have you heard of like, there's sites like, you know, like, uh, trusted Trader and MyBuilder.com yeah. yeah. and all this. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. I suppose it's kind of like Upwork, isn't it? And, and things like I'd seen all these websites and I was kind of in love with the idea of it. But I hadn't actually gone out and talked to people about whether they'd actually pay for it or whether it was a good idea or not. In hindsight, they sound like a bit of a GDPR nightmare. Oh, <laughs> God, yeah, yeah, perhaps a good idea. That. Well, maybe, maybe, years ago, this is pre-GDPR, but yeah, nowadays, yeah, it'd be a pain, maybe, yeah. Maybe you dodged a load of problems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, this question was quite good, and it actually sort of got me thinking about different cognitive biases, um, but we'll, we'll discuss those yeah, yeah, for sure, in, yeah. In, in the next section. But that, that kind of question kind of got me thinking about some stuff we can talk about in the next Yeah, the next yeah, section. a lot. there's a lot of overlap with the stuff we're going to go into next, yeah. Okay, so that brings us on to the uh, sort of the main show, show topic, and I thought it'd be kind of interesting to talk about just that kind of general process of you know having an idea and then developing it into a product. Okay, yeah. yeah. Plus, you know, it'd be, it'd be quite cool to see about how you developed yours over time. Um, but I'm thinking, you know, things like you know, how do you sort of nurture ideas? I mean, I've been thinking about things like you know brainstorming and mind mapping are two particular techniques. Okay, I use. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, brainstorming is literally like you, you know, you're standing in front of a whiteboard and you're just writing down as many ideas as you can think of, including, yeah, including the stupid ones. Yeah, it's really hard. To be honest, this is one of the hardest things, isn't it? Coming up, coming up with really great ideas. It's, it's, a, it's a skill, isn't it? It's partly why, I mean, I've, I've fitted two whiteboards in my office just because I'm constantly scribbling on them, trying to, trying to work ideas out and work things out on a whiteboard. Yeah, yeah. 
but then you know for me when I develop ideas especially if I'm doing um, say like a course outline or come up with an idea for a book or whatnot I tend to use mind mapping software on the computer quite a lot have you, no, have you used those before? No I've never used anything like that no. no they're pretty cool so a mind map is kind of like a spider diagram so you have like a, a, a core subject in the centre of the screen which might be say the name of a book for example oh, okay, yeah, and then yeah. you can you can have spikes coming out of that sort of circle with different ideas on it and then from each of those ideas, you can have other kind of spikes coming out with lots of different ideas on. So it kind of, it's kind of like a bit like a big spider diagram. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, to be fair, at the moment, I'm just more executing on ideas rather than actually coming up with new ideas at the moment. So it's not something I'm active. But when I do look to it, I do tend to... It was the thing where I did like what we call a Creative Friday. So I spend like a whole day just thinking about ideas or new ideas. Okay. So if I need to go, you know, I need to set aside like some time to really work on this and I'll just take like a notepad or something and just come, you know, just brainstorm different ideas and write them down, you know, and, and, and sort of go through them. But I mean, whatever works for you, if you use software or use a pen and paper or however you want to do it. I mean, when you're doing the first version of um, your products, I mean, did you have, did, or did you go through a process where you had like probably, you know, a hundred different ideas that you could do and you had to try and whittle it down into what you thought would be not really. A sensible no, set of features. Kind of, it's kind of it's kind of quite clear cut actually. I think initially all I wanted to do was take what I was doing in my consultancy work and turn that into a product. So okay. the first product I did was one called BeamCalcs.com, and it was kind of just taking the more straightforward projects and turning it into a software uh, product. So it came directly from the work that I was doing. My idea was I just wanted to replace the income that I made from my consultancy job into a product business because I thought it'd be easier to run a product business than a, than a, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case, but then a consultancy business. Right. And that was the original idea. So it wasn't like, I didn't put a whole deal of, I think if you just got to come up with it, if somebody says you've got to come up with a complete new way of doing something that nobody's ever done before, that's really, really hard. But I think if you come from something that you already do, it's so much easier. It's, it's like there's a clear route, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you found things easier where, you know, if you've already been there and done that and then you're writing up what you've previously done, it's going to be a lot easier than just coming up with a completely new idea, isn't it? Well, in terms of like a course idea. Yeah, if you come with, say, imagine if you're doing a training course, if it's something that you've got, like, say, if it's simple like um, hiring employees, but you've had experience of hiring employees as part of your day job, you can sort of write up the process. You've, you've got learned experiences, then you can take into the course, I guess, and things like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot, a lot of what I do is based on learned experiences. Yeah, it makes it, it, makes it so much easier then, doesn't it? But, I mean, originally, I mean, like, you know, when you came up with the idea for Still Beam Calculator, I mean, you was very deliberately thinking, I want to build a product and form a business. It was kind of a very deliberate action to form yeah, a business. Was, the other good thing is because obviously I was in that industry, I could like ring up people that would be interested in buying that product and have right. a chat with them and say, do you think this is a good idea? You know, um, I did that at the start. Um, it, it helped, you know, to get the first couple of sales. Like the first person that bought our software was actually a friend of my, my dad's. He's, a, he's an architect. And he bought it on the first day that we launched. I was discussing it with him. He said, oh, that's great. I'd, I'd buy that. And when we okay. launched it, he, he bought it. But I mean, it was good to have that discussion with him. And then we knew that we weren't completely wasting our time. You know, we knew that there was a demand for this. It made it so much easier. I think if we just come up with, oh, we're just going to brainstorm a completely new idea. We don't know anything about it. It's going to be really, really hard, isn't it? To be successful, I think. I think you could do it, but I think it'd be an edge case, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, so as I was saying, with yours, it was a very deliberate you know, very deliberate thought to build this product and then form a business around it. Yeah. Whereas with mine, I kind of fell into it by accident. <laughs> <laughs> mine was completely non-deliberate because at the time when I started working with Pluralsight, I mean, I I can't remember how the conversation with them was initiated, but they, you know, we agreed that I'll do a course for them. I was like, oh, yeah, this will be like an interesting 
hobby projects for yeah. in the evening. You know, I was quite happy in my current job. I wasn't looking to form a business. I had no kind of business ambitions at all. So with mine, you know, I kind of did the first course and I did the second, then I did the third. And I thought, hold on, there's kind of a trajectory. Yeah, you here. saw, you saw, you perhaps you initially might just have thought, oh, this is fun to do. You know, I can understand what I'm doing. Um, and then probably became more deliberate as you went along with the idea, I guess, you know. It did, yeah. I mean, I was working for a large pharmaceutical retailer company in Nottingham. And when I, I, I made a decision at one point, I was going to leave that company and then go and do what I'm doing now full time. Okay, yeah. But at that point, I then kind of was talking to this other startup and I ended up going to work for them for a bit. Okay, yeah. So, I, so my, my initial idea of working for myself was delayed by, was about, a year, by about a year and a half. Yeah, okay, yeah. Which is kind of good because I mean I was continuing to do what I was doing, building up revenue in the business, but still being paid and in a day job, a salary. Yeah. yeah, that's always always handy, isn't it? So I kind of worked out all that. But I mean, when I'm coming up with an idea for a course, I mean, I I tend to use brainstorming quite a lot. So I mean, I'm I'm, in, I'm just in the pitching process for a new series of courses at the moment with Pillow Site. Okay, yeah. Can't say what they are yet because they've they've not been approved. But okay, yeah, yeah. But but part of my process for doing that is you know I was I was thinking I was trying to think well what can I do a subject on what interests me because it has to be something that interests you. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it, otherwise it'll be a drag trying to do it. I think that's it. Like you said, like um, these weren't just completely new ideas. These were subjects you were probably already interested in that you initially hmm. did your courses on. It wasn't. It wasn't just came up with a new brand new idea of the way the world is. You know, these oh, no, were, no, these were things not. that you subjects that you previously knew about. I think that's always easy. I think you have to look at what your background is and then build from that rather than just trying to come up with a completely new idea. I think people get too in love with the ideas, don't they? But perhaps, um, you know, there's, there's an episode on the Waltons. You know, do you remember that? Was it 1960s or whatever? And there's, there's this guy yeah. who comes to... Um, oh, what's, the, what's the young guy who writes or whatever? There's one guy who wants to be a writer. Okay. And this old guy who's a writer um, comes to meet, comes to the whatever it is there little homestead in the mountains or whatever and he said like you know so I spent my whole life chasing the big ideas um, you know like looking for the next big story it's like he never found it though he was always looking for the next big and he said oh you just write about the things at home and the things you know the simple things you know build from that don't hmm. go in search of the next great so you'll never find it will you sometimes you've got to start small and you know to write about the things like you know your family and, and things like that you know write about what you know about and then build from that rather than trying to always find this huge thing you know that you're never gonna find yeah you know? okay are, are you like that i don't know it's easier just to start i think sometimes we get carried away with looking for this grand idea when really yeah i mean I, I think basically what you're trying to say is start with what you know yeah yeah basically yeah yeah i mean that's, that's effectively what I do. So, you know, the, the thing I've done over the last few weeks is I, I was brainstorming a load of ideas. I whittled it down to three. Then I opened up my mind mapping software and I started, you know, structuring what I think the courses would look like. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I had like the course title in the center. Then I had some spokes coming off of the course title, which formed effectively the modules. So I can t see, you know, what kind of basic story I'm trying to tell over the course. Yeah. Then I'd have other spikes coming out of that with different subject ideas that yeah. are in there. And I... Actually, it's, yeah. Over the space of a few weeks, I kind of whittled it down into a particular order, and then then I typed up a synopsis and sent it off to Pluralsight. Yeah. But you know, I've done no more work on it apart from that. And if they come back and say yes, we want one of those courses, I will then go and develop the idea further. Yeah, I see. But I mean, what I did is because I'm I come from a, a an architectural background, so when I initially came up with the product for the steel beam calculator, I remember I actually drew it all out like the the possible UI, like how it would look on a website. I drew okay. it all out in AutoCAD. 
Oh, right, okay. bizarrely, and it was kind of super useful because you get an idea of like how things are going to be, and then you think because you're actually doing it, it's the same when I when I work. Because if I draw things out on CAD, say like a, a you know my day job, you know, as a structural engineer, I draw a project out on CAD, and you kind of think about it as you're sort of drawing the CAD thing. You think, oh, how does this fit together? How how does the building work? You know, and all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of the same when you actually put something down on, on whether that be on a CAD package or whatever software or mind mapping solution you use you know mm. just the process of, sort of it sort of helps you think about it doesn't it i think you know. yeah, it does yeah when having something that you can actually physically look at and yeah, it's, it's kind of like a, a slightly more advanced idea of the paper prototype isn't it yeah you can sort of refine it can't you and think actually now i'll do that slightly differently you might think about how the product works you know once you actually draw it all out you know so another thing, I mean, I had someone say to me once because um, you know I, I design and write a lot of talks which i do at conferences people are like oh my god how do you write all these different talks you must you must spend all of your time writing talks so well no actually i don't so like i did with the course i go through a brainstorming exercise i do a mind map which kind of describes what the course is going to be like okay yeah. One, oh, the talk's going to be like well once i'm happy at that point i write the synopsis of the talk and i submit it to conferences then i do nothing else with it okay, if, if that yeah. talk gets picked i then go and write the talk okay yeah, yeah. so i've you know i've got some conferences coming up late with this year and sort of early next year that i'm applying to you know, four of the talks I've submitted are completely brand new talks and I have no intention of writing them unless they get picked Okay, yeah, but I know yeah. what the talk's going to be and I know exactly what's going to be in there I know kind of what pacing I want that's sort of different being, ideas yeah, I and mean, that's being efficient with your time isn't it I, I, I kind of get that you know it's no point writing a, a, a talk if your talk doesn't get selected you know yeah um, and, and you know, so you've got something about empathy mapping I'm quite curious about what that actually means and, and what it yeah, is yeah so I'll, start, I'll put this on, on, on the notes here because I've just done a course on innovation. So one of the things I talked about was empathy mapping. And this is kind of, um, it's used by a lot of designers and UX designers, but it kind of works for any series of ideas, really. Okay. So if you think about think about your product, for example, still being calculator, you know, it's a, a, a site where you can, I'm probably oversimplifying it, so I'm, I'm really sorry. No, no, but it's, no. You put a load of measurements in and it'll tell you what kind of, structural beams you'd want yeah, for a building yeah, project. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. So what empathy mapping does is it lets you look at um, the ideas around that product, but from different people's perspectives. Okay, yeah, So you yeah. can kind of think about how they um, feel. So an empathy map, is, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways of doing an empathy map, um, but effectively you have a piece of paper, split it into four sections, and you've got says, thinks, does, and feels. Okay, yeah, So you yeah. think about your idea. So if you imagine... A customer, so Sarah. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. So you've got a customer called Sarah, and she's her demographic is, you know, she's in her mid-twenties, um, living away at university. Okay. So, yeah. so that's kind of your... Like persona. Persona. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, now if she was to use your product, let's say she's a, a she's studying structural engineering okay, to yeah, fit yeah. it in with, you know, your product. So you've got the quadrant that says say. So if she was using your product, what would you f imagine she would say about your product? She might say, "Oh, this is really intuitive. This is, you know, this is really hard to use." Yeah. So you, you can kind of write verbal things that they might say. Thinks is where you write down things that they might say but not openly to your face. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know, we've all done that. You know, if you're in a room with someone, you think, "Oh, I don't like that person over there." They're a bit of a. You wouldn't say. Bit of a sod, but you wouldn't say it. Yeah. So you can kind of write down, imagine different things that they would write or say. No, sorry. Think about your product, but, but not actually say. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, the yeah. does quadrant is you know what would this person do with your product? 
Okay, yeah. yeah what what yeah. physical actions would they take? And then you've got feels. Is going to, how, do they, how do they feel about the products? Yeah. Do they yeah. feel good because it's saving them time? Do they feel frustrated? Yeah. And, and you try and you try and work through yeah. different um, scenarios. Um, you know, you can have posi- you can think of positive scenarios, negative scenarios. You, you really go to town on how different personas might feel about your product. Yeah. And then once you've done that kind of mapping exercise, you know, as a group in your product group, so you and your business partner, okay. you might think, well, you know, so we, we thought about some negative things they could say. Well, what could we do to mitigate those negative things? What, okay. what could we do to amplify all those positive things? Is this, is this based on customer interviews or is this just like um, or created, invented? Personas, um, or is this something? I mean, you, you could do it around interviews, and it's it's normally like a, a whiteboarding exercise you do with a with a group of people that's designing a product. Oh, how, yeah, so how potentially how a customer might, might feel and what you could do to mitigate those, yeah. those feelings. Um, so it's yeah. just trying to get you to think about you know what a customer is going to feel or say and think about your product. Yeah, there's certain ways they might be frustrated by it, um, and what you could do to change the product to. To make it suit their their needs or whatever mm. you know, so it's used quite a lot by uh, sort of UX designers, you know, interaction designers. It's, it's kind of one of their you know their their tools in their toolbox, but it doesn't have to be just that. I mean, for any type of product you're developing, when you're trying to whittle down ideas into a feature set for a product, it just gets you into the idea or the habit of thinking about other people's um, emotions and empathy. Yeah, yeah. So you know when you when you design your products or BIM calculator, you're thinking from your perspective as a structural engineer. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you know you could have you know a newly graduated structural engineer. How easy would it be for a newly graduated engineer to be able to use your product? Yeah, it's, yeah. The thing is, it's very hard because versus the engineer who's got like forty years experience. Yeah, well, even even then, as like for example, um, the way that you think about the world isn't necessarily about how other people hmm. would work, you know. So what seems intuitive to you might not necessarily be intuitive to your customers. So I think you do have to sort of think from lots of different perspectives or different types of users, etc. Yeah. It is hard, isn't it? Um, plus also the longer you're in your product, the more you get stuck in it as well a little bit. And it's harder to get a different perspective, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, this comes on some of the biases that we'll talk about in a minute. I mean, mm. from, from your perspective, and you're so invested in the idea yeah, yeah. That maybe you know, if you introduce a new feature which you think is going to be absolutely brilliant, you may end up actually alienating customers and they don't like it. Yeah, I mean, so you, hard, you, see, you see companies do that all the time, don't you? They're, they're introducing a new feature that. Oh yeah, yeah. Or sometimes they over- overcomplicate. If they had so many features, the product becomes so complicated, it makes it hard, difficult to use. You know, it's too much, too many options, too many variables. Yeah. I think technical people can do that because they. They understand how it all works, but they don't necessarily. I mean, we tried to do that with our product. We tried to keep it easy to use by having less features rather than more features. You know, having the right balance. Obviously, it's got to do what it needs to do, but then it can't be too complicated. But then it has to be complex enough to be able to handle more complex projects. So it's it's a balance, isn't it? I think. Yes. Yeah, so this is what empathy mapping does. It forces yeah. you to think about your product from different perspectives, from different personas. And you, and you could do it, but, you know, you could try and engage your target audience and, and interview them. Yeah, I think that, that would be that would be gold, you know, if you can go out and or, speak to prospects, you know. Yeah, or, or you do it as an exercise between, say, you and your business partner, where you, you really go to town and try and think from other people's perspectives. Yeah, we, we have done a few customer interviews recently, and we're trying to do more of them, but they're really good because... Um, and also, you can, there's, a, there's a book called The Mom Test where, you know, if you asked your, you know, a friend or a relative whether they thought your product, because they like you, they might just say, be biased and say, yeah, we love you, what you're doing, but that's not necessarily what you want to hear. You know, you want somebody to, yeah. you need to sort of think a way of asking people, does that solve their problem? You know, not saying, oh, do you just love what I've made? You know, rather, you know what I mean? You've got to think, 
um, you know, does it solve people's real problems or is it you just build something and people love it because they look like you, you know? Yeah. You've got to think. So you've got to ask the right questions, haven't you? And structure the questions in such a way where you're not saying, I built something, do you love it? Rather than saying, what are your problems? And then trying to address those rather than do the other way around, you know? So did you go down the minimum, yeah, the minimum, I can't even say it. I'm trying to say that again. Did you go down the minimum viable product route um, of yours? And not so, intentionally, but we kind of had to build, an, uh, being a, an entirely bootstrap business, we kind of had to build, had to go down the MV. Not, not for your choice, but it just that's, that's you know, because we had a small team, we had a limited budget. We kind of had to build a simple, um, a simple product really. You know, we didn't have the budget to build something really, really complex. We couldn't spend like two years full-time building a product and then launching it to the world. Okay. We kind of had to build something that take you know that we could build in a couple of months and get out there. So it was about two months. So from my idea to getting the first version live. Yeah, was, I think it, was, yeah. it wasn't far off a month. We were just over a month, really. Um, so it was kind of an MVP, but it wasn't intentional. That was probably before, I, when we built it, I probably didn't know what an MVP was, you know. Um, but it was just something that was, it, it was simple. It did the job. People liked it which I think is more important. There's actually, my recommendation at the end of this podcast is going to be a thing, and that goes, I think they say, um, what they say, I think it's simple, simple and lovable. It's instead of, I can they call it a slick, I can't remember what the exact, you'd have to check out the uh, thing at the end, but an MVP, you know, it's, an MVP is, is not a great, is not a great way of, because it depends how minimum, how, you know, how minimum it is, you know, it's it's got to be useful as well as just being minimum, yeah. you know, there's no point, if it's so minimum, it's not useful to anybody, it's kind of useless, isn't it? It's got to be, you know, simple rather than perhaps minimum, as, is the way I would put it, put it. So, when we had the question at the beginning of the episode um, from Anon, okay. who, who wants to remain anonymous, Fair um, they, you know, the question was all about yeah, you know, could you cling on to bad ideas? Okay, yeah. Which kind of yeah. got me thinking about different cognitive biases. So I started doing some research on cognitive biases, which is some stuff I included in my course as well. And there's hundreds and hundreds of them. Oh, I can imagine, yeah. So I was trying to narrow it down. Is like, you know, looking at what cognitive biases could affect um, people who are trying to innovate ideas for a business, especially sort of companies of one or very small companies like what we do. Okay, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I came up with some quite interesting ones. I thought I'd sort of just talk through them. So the first one is anchoring, where you tend to rely on initial pieces of information that you're exposed to to make judgments when making decisions. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is like, you know, you, you have an idea about something, so you'll do a Google search, and then the first article that comes along, that's kind of my research done, that's that's proved my point. Yeah, yeah, it does, it does remind me, but you know earlier we were talking about this structural engineer, it's a referral website that yeah. I was gonna do. It's like a marketplace for where people could hire structural engineers. Um, and that was based upon just seeing like other websites. And there's one, there's one I was looking at, it was called mybuilder.com. And I was, I think I was so in love with the idea that I got kind of carried away with it and I anchored everything to what they were doing and thought I could just do what they're doing, but for structural engineers, it'll be successful. But I think, again, that's an example of where you, um, you don't really test the market. You just kind of stick to one idea and think, yeah, that's going to work because it's worked for somebody else somewhere else, but I haven't really tested it. Yeah. So I thought that was quite an interesting one, that one. And then another one, which is, um, quite a big kind of quite a big effect as well as the sunk cost fallacy yeah which is where sometimes when developing ideas for a while that have had considerable financial investment in time and money you then cling on to those ideas because you've invested so much money into them yeah yeah you kind of you feel like you've got to 
go through with it, even though really perhaps ought to quit and do something else? I've, I've worked for one company. I'm not going to say the company's name. <laughs> yeah, okay. And I'm not going to say what the project was or any details about it, but there was this program of work where they had spent 20 million plus pounds on it. Oh, God. The, the, it was... It was... Oh, choose my words carefully. It wasn't particularly good, but it was one of those projects where they spent so much on it, it, it had gotten too big to fail. They had to continue it, even though it's perhaps a bad idea. Yeah, yeah because many heads would roll. Oh, but that's yeah. kind of kind of an example of the sunk cost fallacy. I mean, so much money and time have been invested onto this thing; it was yeah you deemed do. kind of too big to to kill. Yeah, I think you do see this day sometimes where people put so much of their lives into it, into something. You know, it's kind of sad, isn't it? Really, and they cling on to it. Really, they ought to just move on. You know, and perhaps just scrap it and come up with a better idea, or, or perhaps look at something else. Yeah, but. It was this one I was thinking about when um, when we had the question from my mum, you know, sort of about clinging on to ideas. It's like, well, you know, if you're a small one or two person company and you've then gone and spent like ten or twenty thousand pounds on something, yeah, it probably would be quite hard to let go of an idea at that point because you've made that investment into it. Yeah. So I can yeah. kind of see how how this could be a particularly it problem. is painful it's really I mean like I was saying earlier about the, the this referral website for the structural engineers thing and I remember after a year of running it and realising it wasn't going to work and I just shut it down after a year and it was really really painful to do you know but I thought I'm oh so you'd actually you'd actually built it yeah yeah we built it we launched it it just didn't get any traction so after a year and I was doing a lot of customer support and it wasn't making any revenue I think yeah. after a year I just but it kind of hurt to do it you know in some ways I think should I should I kept going with it? even now I think perhaps should I have stuck with it but no I think it was the right thing to do I think I you know I shouldn't have put any more into it I think you've got to know when to cut your losses you know it's painful to do though because you've, you've invested so much time and money into this project you know I can imagine I can imagine that being uh, absolutely uh, yeah heart wrenching at the time to do that yeah it's tough so the next one I've got here then is a confirmation bias and this is where um, you believe what you want to believe by seeking out favourable information that confirms your bias <laughs> I, I was going to say this is the, <coughs> this is the internet generally I think yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a good example I found on this is like you know if I was to say to you Kevin, the grass is green. You then go and do some research, research on it and you search for pictures of green grass. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're searching for information that kind of validates your ideas. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a problem a little bit with the internet because what happens if you, imagine if you have a crazy idea, there'll be other people on the internet that agree with your, have you heard this thing, this flat earth sort of clubbing up or something? Have you heard about this? Like, <laughs> yes. It's like, a, it's like you're, oh, if you believe the earth is flat and then you'll, you can meet some other crazies that agree with your idea and, and it'll become a thing, won't it? Yeah, the flat earth society. Oh, is that, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like ridiculous, isn't it? It's completely ridiculous, you know, but it just, I mean, because we had this discussion actually on our Slack group mastermind and we're saying that with the internet, the argument was, my friend was saying that um, with the internet, everybody is, has access to the same information. So we should all come to the same conclusion. And my other guys on the, on the mastermind group say, so actually, no, the opposite happens. What happens is somebody has a crazy idea and they find other people that agree with them on the internet and that becomes a thing. So you kind of get into these silos, don't you, where people have these divergent beliefs. It's not like everybody has access to the same information or come to the same conclusion. It's like everybody's has these crazy ideas and they become more crazy, I think. You know, it becomes more divergent, doesn't it? So you've got to be careful that that doesn't happen with, with what you're doing, you know, so that you don't find... Um, you know, other people or other other things online that agree with what you believe. You've got to kind of look for a diverse range of. This, this is a big thing in the uh, scientific community as well, because obviously, if you're trying to follow a scientific method and you kind of have a hypothesis and you then need to test and try and either prove or disprove your hypothesis. Yeah, yeah. 
But if you let confirmation bias creep in, then you, you're going to probably fairly easily be able to confirm the <laughs> hypothesis yeah, necessarily. Without, without necessarily testing it properly. And, it, and it, you know, that goes for business as well. You know, you're saying about the um, referral website is building, you know, I'd imagine part of the website, the research around that was searching for examples where this has worked before, but not necessarily where it hasn't worked. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you'd probably see lots of examples of the business has been successful with this model. Um, but then you obviously don't kind of have the context or the, you know, you're perhaps taking from a slightly different market where it's not going to work, you know, but you've, you've got to, it's all those nuances, isn't it, of understanding the market and, and all those little things, isn't it? Yeah, but I do like your idea around the, well, your analogy around the flat earth thing. Flat earth, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, sure. I've looked up videos on that before on YouTube and there's some proper crazy theories around yeah. that. <laughs> I'm sure it's just a wind. I think some of it's a wind up to it on this. I'm not entirely sure. Are these people serious? Or perhaps yeah, they are, well, I don't know. What about the astronauts in the Uni- International Space Station? You know, obviously the Earth looks round. No, but it could be distortion in lenses that's making it more. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I apologise if there's any flat earthers listening. But, uh, yeah, no, we, we think it's a great idea. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the other um, thing I found again, was the Dunning-Kruger effect. And with this, we have a tendency for unskilled individuals to overestimate their ability. But yeah. then on the flip side, you've got skilled, experienced individuals who underestimate their own ability. Uh, okay, Which yeah. I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of, you know, I've seen this loads of times in companies where you've got, some, you know, the people that are really ultra-talented, really, you know, like the experts. Yeah. Who always downplay their own abilities to, the, to a fault in a way where, you know, they're really doing themselves a disservice. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then you get your, your little cocky young scamp straight out of university. <laughs> He's hardly written any code in their life. He thinks, yeah. They're, uh, thinks, they're, yeah, he thinks they're Steve Wozniak or something. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to sort of know yourself, isn't it, really? It, it's, it's very, very difficult, isn't it? I think the example of this is a lot of um, technical people will like undersell their knowledge, don't they? So you get perhaps like um, if you're selling a product but or you might you know people think what they're doing is easy so they perhaps don't charge as much for their work or what they've produced as perhaps what they should do you know this happens all the time doesn't it um where people undersell what they're doing um so you do have to kind of guard against that don't you really yeah. but i think you know where this could affect like the the product development um cycles so if you know if you're not very experienced in the domain that you're building a product for you can really kind of overestimate your own abilities in trying to build that product when really you're not actually the right person and I think you know I think actually your business is a good example because I mean you, you're the domain expert aren't you on the, on the structural yeah, engineering yeah, side yeah yeah and you have a business partner who's the, the expert on the software development side yeah yeah whereas you know could either one of you do each the other person's job if, if they weren't there I couldn't do his job I think to be fair he's, the more he's learning about it because he's obviously having to build the products he's learning you know he's reaching the point where he's going to know as much about structural engineering as I do mm. you know I think he's I mean, certain perhaps parts of the market doesn't understand, you know, it's has to ask me the odd questions, but I think he's reaching the point now where technically he's going to get as good as me, I think, you know. Um, so I think it, it will catch and <laughs> so say that. a little right. bit of nervousness in your voice there. Yeah, no, he's, he's really good though, yeah, he's, he's super smart. I mean, he's done mechanical engineering, um, is his degree. Okay. Uh, no, not mechanical, electrical engineering, sorry. No. Yeah, so he knows um, some, he knows lots of mathematics. He's quite good, sharp at maths. Um, so he's got a lot of the, the, the mathematics covered, you know, uh, which is which is really, really handy because that's what we do. So hmm. that's the, but yeah, no, it, it is hard, isn't it? Um, 
I think sometimes also... It could be your tagline, actually. Still beam calculator, we sell math. We sell math, yeah. <laughs> well, we do, don't we, to a certain extent. You know, that's a big part of what we do. We make it easy. We make mathematics easy. You know, um, it's sort of the tool gives you the superpower to be able to do these complex calculations. That even if you don't know how to do them, you know, it gives you that gives you that quick ability to do things that... You know, also, speed as well, you know. Hmm. It, is, it is hard. I think... I don't know what it's... I don't know how how would you get around it? How would you learn where you stand in the world, you know? How do you is it just a matter of testing the market and saying I don't want people to think perhaps they should hold themselves back because they don't know something. Is no, it but I think if, if, you, if you're in a company and you're developing a product, then I think that just proves that you need a good balance of people. Yeah. Different different abilities. Skills, yeah. So if you were to start a project a project and then you only put um, you know, juniors or graduates on it. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Is that going to have the same level and effect as if you put only senior people on it? Whereas I think you'd actually have a more balanced, better output if you put multiple people on it of different abilities. Yeah, different perspectives as well, and different outlooks and, and different, yeah, different, different ways of doing things, yeah. And the, uh, another cognitive bias I found was uh, the bandwagon effect, which is where people have a tendency to do or believe things because many other people believe the same thing. Yeah, i.e., jumping on the bandwagon. I see this all the time, especially in the startup world, because some th- things become trendy. So, for example, at the moment, the big trend is like AI or machine mm. learning. So everybody has to somehow chuck AI into their product, whether it needs it or not, because it's kind of trendy. And you see this all the time. So it, obviously, trends change over time, but you do see people. And you're thinking they, they're just doing that to sound cool, aren't they? Or sound? You know, do you see this as well? No, no, I know, I know exactly what you mean. I was, I was just about to say, how, how can you incorporate AI into your product? <laughs> well, probably can't, but we well, probably could. <laughs> but you know, it's like it's not. It's well, not I like imagine you've got a couple of if statements in there yeah, somewhere. You can just probably, call it AI. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes it's like often it's like rules based stuff, and they make out it's kind of AI, but it's not. It's just. You know what I mean? And there's a difference, isn't there? You know, or it might be obviously complex stuff in there, but not. It doesn't necessarily have to be machine learning. You know. Yeah, I mean the AI stuff's quite interesting. I've been to loads of talks at conferences on AI, mm. and it's a fascinating subject. Although I'm going to not pretend that I actually understand a lot of it. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's, it's it's tricky. Yeah. My business partner's quite into all that kind of stuff, um, and I'm, I'm sure there's it, it is the future. But I think some people they just chuck it in because it sounds trendy because it's on trend at the moment. It'll be something else next year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, social, social networking was, you know, that was one of the big bandwagons, wasn't it? Facebook yeah. and then oh, Twitter. Yeah. And then you had a load of other ones which kind of started up and then died. Yeah, yeah. And what other bandwagons have we had? Uh, well, blockchain. You can, that was a kind of a big yeah. bandwagon. Oh, sure, yeah. Crypto crypto st- and all that still, kind of is, still is a big bandwagon. Um, yeah, it's like sometimes some things become trendy and you've got to think, some, sometimes you've got to be a bit independent and think, you know, is that relevant? to what we need to do, you know. Um, you can't just chuck something in just because it sounds cool, you know. Yeah. And there's got to be, you know, sometimes there probably will be instances where machine learning would be great for your product or startup or whatever, you know, but you've got to think, does that actually fit in? Do it just put it in? We're going to do such and such with AI, you know, why not just do that thing? <laughs> Don't miss, you might not necessarily need the AI, you know, just to sound cool or sound mm. like you're with it, you know, or whatever, you know. Yeah, you need to decide what bandwagon you're going to jump on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You need to get AI. You need you need a big AI badge on your AI website, badge. powered AI. powered by AI. Powered by AI, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, <laughs> actually, probably best not to. No, no, no. <laughs> probably put people off. I think. And then the last one, um, and I've seen this loads of times in pretty much every single company I've worked at. Actually, and it's the not invented here bias. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Which is where you take a stance that can be adopted by teams who will avoid buying 
or using an already existing product because they didn't invent it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, if you imagine that you're developing a product of some description, you know, obviously the core focus of that product you're going to develop yourself because that's kind of like your intellectual property. But, yeah. but normally there's lots of stuff that goes around it, which you could build yourself or you could just buy in some middleware to do it for you. Yeah. And save yourself a whole ton of time and money. I think this is the self-insured developers because they'll often quite rather build something than buy it, but not hmm. it's just because that's what they enjoy doing. Well, not, not necessarily buyers in purchase, but I mean, you know, use open source libraries or... Oh, yeah, yeah. Or just bring in, bring in something else to help them, but there can be a bit of a stigma against doing that because it wasn't invented by them. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is, and this is like an ego thing, isn't it, I suppose, to a certain extent, I think, or... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, probably, it's probably because they think what they can do is better than what somebody else can do, or... Or they enjoy doing it, or et cetera, you know. Or. I think so, yeah. I think a lot of ego does come into it. I mean, I've, yeah, it can get a bit fraught with developers sometimes when you, when you, when you get a lot of egos in the room and oh, different and they, ways of doing yeah, things. Yeah, they want to build, they want to do it in some new, unique way that they believe is better than anybody else has ever done. And Yeah, well, I've worked at companies before where, you know, a product has been developed and, you know, it works. Then, you know, over time, a new team comes in, a new, you know, the next generation team okay, comes in, yeah. and they just want to scrap everything because they didn't write it. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, and it's like, yeah, they want to build it perhaps a new way that's, that they believe is better, you know, and when it, whatever was there was perfectly adequate before, or... Yeah, it's perfectly adequate, but it might be built on an older technology that is a bit, you know, not in vogue, <laughs> but, but works perfectly well. I mean, yeah. I've, I've had this conversation with lots of developers before in previous jobs, when I've been managing them, say, you know, don't just assume you have to rewrite everything because some new sexy technology's come along because, you know, two years down the line, that technology will be out of date. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be untrendy and then it'll be the next thing, won't it? It was probably like the bandwagon bias that we mentioned previously. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, you know, an interesting bit of research, I thought, about looking at some of the cognitive biases that can affect, you know, product development. And, you know, I, I guess it's kind of easy for any of these to kind of take hold and kind of get in the way if you're working by yourself or you're yeah I, th I think this is where it's important or just a few people uh, talk to other people and talk to prospects and talk to friends and talk to contacts you have in the industry that's why it's easier if you're building a product that you have some knowledge of the market um, or that particular industry you know it's so much easier isn't it because you can go and talk to people in the industry mm. if you're just building in complete isolation I think that's probably way more likely to fall under these kind of biases aren't you where you're not having feedback from other people and you're yeah, just completely on your own so yeah I thought that was quite an interesting little bit of research there okay, okay let's uh, go into recommendations so do you want to yeah, start mentioned, off with your uh, one yeah there's a guy called Jason Cohen he's a super smart guy and he does a blog called A Smart Bear um, and the particular bit that I want to recommend is it, it's a bit that he's called like Kung Fu and it's his kind of startup strategy Okay. Um, it's, it's just quite interesting because I think he says like he says um, says there's many styles, but like kung fu, there's many different styles. But in a bar fight, you're gonna get punched in the face regardless. You know, right. this is, this is yeah, there's many styles, but this is his style, and he sort of goes through the processes that he uses. And it's uh, obviously a lot of it's kind of like rules of thumb that he believes. Um, it's not necessarily all all true, you know. But there is some kind of there does appear to be sort of reading through it and having sort of done startups a lot of it does seem to kind of ring true you know the, okay. the kind of approximate figures do kind of roughly make sense um, it's super insightful so I'd recommend that you check that out we'll put a, a link in the show notes and have a look through and read for yourself yeah I'm pretty sure I've heard of this blog before but I can't think where but yeah this 
article does look very interesting. Yeah, there's lots of, lots of stuff in there that's really, really useful. Like, like there's a bit in there about what they call slicks. Is it simple, simple, lovable, and what does it say? Instead of like MVPs, you say, just go up a bit. Um, what does it say about SLCs? They call it slicks, is it, what they call it within their team, rather than MVPs. Um, what does it say that? This is really bad, isn't it? <laughs> People can't read this, can they? Oh yeah, build SLCs instead. Yeah, simple, okay, yeah. simple, lovable, and something else. I can't remember. It it is good actually. Yeah, yeah. I think there's some great truisms there, and it's like he's not a big fan of like the freemium model. You know, believes that you should charge for your product. You get feedback quicker from paying customers, things like that. Do you know what? That that's an interesting point, that because the f one thing that really grinds my gears more than anything is a lot of these freemium apps you get on mobile phones. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean. For some of them, like, you know, if you get an app, a game, for example, and it's got an advert on it and you can pay a couple of bucks to get rid of the app or get rid of the advert, yeah, I'm yeah. okay with that. Yeah, fair that, enough. Yeah. That I'm absolutely fine with. But what I hate is where, you know, you're playing a game, but then, you know, there's like a time limit counter that comes up. And the only way you can progress is either wait five minutes uh, or pay okay. $5 to progress or to yeah, buy a bag of gold. It's like that really... It grinds, yeah. That's oh, grating, isn't it? I'm yeah. about to go on to a rant. Yeah, no, no. <coughs> yeah, no, it is annoying, I think. But interestingly, I think, I think Apple has actually realised that this is a bit of a problem because they had a um, product um, keynote thing a few weeks ago and, and I was in Copenhagen at the time so I had nothing to do for a few uh, hours. Yeah, so I just yeah. sat and watched a keynote. And one of the things they're introducing is a service called Apple Arcade. Okay, yeah. which will be a, a subscription service if they've not announced how much it will be but when they launch it there's going to be a hundred games that are going to be on it from launch oh it's kind of like, like Apple Playbook for like games is it yeah so basically you, you'll download these games as part of your it's going to be like Netflix you know you pay yeah like a monthly subscription let, let's imagine $10 a month I have no idea what the cost is going to yeah. be but then you download these games and then that's it you can, you can download as many as you want it's con consume as much as you want oh, that sounds but good, then yeah. once you've got the game downloaded onto your iPad iPhone I think support on Mac as well there's no in-app purchases there's nothing else up. the game is the game Yeah, no, which I think is kind of how it should be yeah that no, sounds like a good idea because I don't know if it's just me being you know old guy shouting at the clouds or whether this is a young <laughs> yeah. person's thing or not but you know I'd rather pay $20 for a game or £20 for a game and own the game Okay. Yeah, yeah. Then have to pay some kind of like, subscription. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, yeah. I, I would ideally. I, I'm, that, everything's like um, subscription based. I shouldn't say that because our product's subscription based. But um, but yeah, kind of that. That is the way. Yeah, but you're, but you're offering a professional service though. So a professional service, I think, is fine to do yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. No. I think I'm, I'm on about more like um, consumer apps aimed at consumers. Yeah. No. I yeah, not norm, yeah. normal people on the street, sort of thing. So I, I nearly went off onto a big rant tangent rant then. About, yeah. But yeah, no, did, did you check out this um, a smart bear? Uh, particularly the bit about Kung, the kung fu startup, um, well, his version of startups. Yeah, that's quite interesting. But what, what's this smart bear company? Is it a company or is it just a guy? It's yeah, it's called Jason Coney. He does a, um, I think it's WP Engine is his business, like okay. a WordPress hosting. All right, okay, uh, yeah. company. They're quite big, very successful. Um, I like his site actually. The design is very basic and clear. Yeah, it's really nice. Uh, the, the 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 blog post is super insightful. So do check those out. Okay, and for my recommendation, um, you know, I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the show that I was trying to find a better process for doing um, videos for YouTube, okay. which kind of removes a lot of the friction of having to set cameras and lights and all that sort of stuff up. So I, was, I thought one way of doing this would be to look at using a webcam. Okay, yeah. So I tried a test video using the webcam built into the iMac and the, it just looked crap. 
Did it not look, look really yeah. bad? So I thought, well, there must be some kind of pro, you know, in, pro, in, pro in, you know, in quotes, level uh, webcam. So I did a bit of research and I found one called the Logitech Brio 4K webcam. Okay. And I thought, huh, interesting. So I read a load of reviews on it and it seems that the video quality that comes from it is really, 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 I mean, it can capture 4K if you want it to, oh, right, which, okay. is, which is a bit overkill. Yeah. Um, but it also um, supports um, HDR mode as well. So it will balance out the exposure of you and then the background as well. So you don't get those kind of like overblown white areas that you sometimes get. Okay, yeah. So I thought, okay, this sounds quite interesting. So I thought, you know, I'll buy it on Amazon and if it's not very good, I can just send it back. Mm. So I had this turn up earlier in the week and it's absolutely fantastic. It's good, isn't it? Really, yeah. really good, yeah. So it sits on top of my iMac. It's got a fair, you can go quite wide with it as well, wide, okay. like wide angle. Yeah. So I've, did, I've done some test videos where I'm, you know, I'm trying to think about how could I deliver content on YouTube but quickly. Because obviously it's not my core business, but I want to deliver helpful videos. Yeah, yeah, but you want to do it easily, don't you? And obviously not spend you know too much too much time on these. So what, I, so what I've ex experimented with was um, building up mind maps, which you know kind of maps out the subjects I'm going to talk about, and then I'm recording the screen and. A video feed of me on the webcam yeah and then i used the mind map as a way of navigating around the subject that i'm talking about yeah so i tried a few sort of test videos and it seems to work out quite well and i sort of showed it to a few people and they seem quite happy with it yeah, cool so it's kind of a, a good way of um building youtube videos yeah a so lot quicker to do youtube videos you'd recommend that that webcam then yeah it's not the cheapest of cameras it's 175 pounds wow yeah which is yeah. why i thought oh, no, i'll test it but just send it back if it's no good yeah but it is actually pretty good so i thought i'd just recommend that oh brilliant yeah okay so uh that's another one in the can yeah. as they say yeah another one on tape that's our joke but yeah no that's, that's great it's good to yeah. every people have got something from that and um we'll catch you in the next next episode yeah see you soon bye, bye.